Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Tis the season to be podcasting. Uh, This is probably getting released right around the end of the year. Uh, We are in the Christmas season uh, and we're in the annual planning season. So uh, it got me reflecting. We just wrapped up November honoring veterans uh, with some additional podcasts. We called DOD to AEC, Department of Defense to Architect, Engineering, Construction. And I, I think it's important that, you know, two two parts to this, and, and I'll get into our guest in a second, but in 2021, we set out a bit of a 10-year vision. That 10-year vision included uh, a goal uh, to train 1,000 transitioning veterans, and transitioning veterans in our world could be somebody on active duty, it could be somebody in reserves, it could be somebody that's already uh, gotten out of the military, but is kind of lost or, or not enjoying or not feeling fulfilled in their, their career to a program we call Department of Defense to Architect, Engineering, Construction. And we set it as a goal to really establish that program in 2022. Uh, so about a year ago last year, this, this program initiative idea bubbled up. Um, and like many things, it, it made absolute sense to figure it out. And in the entrepreneurial world that that we are in and, and kind of our way of doing things, it's a bit of a just get started. Uh, so I, I want to touch on our 10-year vision real quick. So one of the goals is to train 1,000 transitioning veterans for jobs in the AEC and real estate development industry for service in the public and private sectors, and then hiring 100 of them to support our clients or, or our programs. Uh, another one is to interview 1,000 entrepreneurial public servants or do 1,000 interviews on our podcast. Uh, with hopefully working with a hundred of them to impact public service, stewardship of taxpayer dollars, and to innovate the delivery in the development and construction industry for the next generation. Third was to invest in and develop 1,000 units of veteran housing. And last but not least is uh, two-part, two donate 10% of our profits to into our philanthropic arm uh, called the Friendly Strife Foundation, which is designed to give back to veteran-focused and veteran-operated initiatives, nonprofits. And then the other piece is to invest and reinvest into um, veteran-owned businesses and, and maybe incubate and start them up. So those that's our 10-year vision, big, hairy, audacious goals. I want to focus in today on training the 1,000 transitioning veterans for jobs in the AEC and real estate development industry. Uh, and our guest is is really appropriate to this topic. That's why I want to talk about it. Like many things I talk about, delegating and elevating, empowering others that come onto our team, thinking through Dan Sullivan's book, Who Not How, and not getting wrapped up in all of the details of how do we make a goal or a mission get accomplished, but recognize you need a team to do it. And I'm not an army of one. MCFA is an operating business that constantly has, you know, projects and client demands. So we realized pretty early in last year 
to take this program from idea and concept and good intentions to reality, we needed a who, not a how. Uh, all the how, all the whiteboarding sessions, all the ideas, and even the just get started mentality um, made me recognize and made us as a team recognize we don't have the bandwidth to do this right. So that leads to our guest today. Jesse Gemberling Johnson joined the team in September of this year, and we, we kind of hit it off right away. And you know, the, the how we met story was, and this is, this is one of those things when you put something out there in the world, uh, maybe the right things start getting attracted back to you. But DOD to AEC was on my brain. Not having the bandwidth was on my brain. And along comes a survey through a buddy on LinkedIn about um, something having to do with veteran employment and, and veteran job satisfactions, veteran careers, something to that effect. Anyway, I'm like, who not how? Maybe this is the guy that I need to talk to. And uh, Jesse will tell his side of the story here. But after some back and forth, we finally sat down. Uh, I shared a bit of our vision, some of my passion, and basically said, dude, we need help. And you seem to have a passion for what we're trying to do. What do you think about joining the team? So I'm excited to introduce, maybe not for the first time in public, but for the first time on the podcast. Actually, second time because we recorded this once and messed up. Um, for the second time on a podcast, first time on a released podcast, Jesse Gemberling, Gemberling Johnson, MCFA's Director of Talent Recruitment and Development. Welcome to the show, Jesse. BJ, thanks so much uh, for for having me on. Grateful to be here with the team. And uh, the first round was a blast. So really excited for round two of this. Let's let's see how we go. Just so everybody knows, you know, in podcasting, sometimes you make mistakes, uh, and sometimes the the quality is just not up to par for what we want to give you. So that's why we're re-recording this, and I think it's actually you know a, a blessing in disguise that we get to do this twice because a lot has evolved since the last time we talked. Uh, I think we're becoming more and more clear about what this program initiative looks like inside of MCFA, outside of MCFA. Uh, so we'll get into that. But first, all podcasts must start with who the hell is Jesse Gemberling Johnson? Where did he come from? How did he land at MCFA? So Jesse, as far back as you want to go, I know you were in the Marine Corps and now our audience knows that. So he is a veteran. He's probably the first veteran that we hired since we whispered the idea of uh, helping transitioning vets. He does come from the construction industry, but Jesse, tell us your story. Yeah. So uh, as, as far as non-traditional backgrounds go, like many veterans share, um, mine's, mine's no different. Um, so I grew up, grew up in, in Philadelphia, um, went to, um, went to undergrad at Gettysburg college, um, about two and a half hours, um, West of Philly, played soccer there. Uh, when I got out, that was in, uh, or when I graduated, that was in 08. Um, and myself, like some friends from school, thought it would be fun to get into finance. Um, at that time, um, it seemed like a great idea. Um, but as we know, um, the market uh, had its own plans at that um, at that juncture, and that that quickly led to 
where I was working being acquired by um, uh, a large organization. Needless to say, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that, and that things do happen for a reason. And uh, I was pretty miserable. I, I'm not even good at finance. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, when um, I had been, I think, in the role for, for seven months at, at Merrill Lynch, it was, uh, you know, I didn't, it was a great reason to leave. And they were like, you know, there was this two year sort of merge plan that, you know, our, I think our team would have been rolled up into some different area. But, you know, that was way too long for me to wait to see what happens. And I was just apathetic about the industry as, as a whole. And, you know, I follow things that motivate me, people that motivate me. And so, you know, I can remember it was a, it was a Sunday in, you know, in the fall of 08, the Eagles were having a great season. The Phillies were in the playoffs, must've been October. Um, and I was with all my buddies and we would get together We'd usually be together the whole weekend, um, but then we Sunday night uh, the show Generation Kill was uh, was was on HBO, I think. And I, I remember it well. And I remember watching the camaraderie of the guys in this combat zone and the way that they had to kind of look to one another and rely on one another. And they were all very different from different walks of life. And I was like, that seems really fun. And um, you know, as BJ knows, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a quick start. So when I get something in my head and I decide that I'm going to pursue something, it, um, I, you know, I have a tendency to really follow through and, and be, be very tenacious until that's, that's achieved. So needless to say, that was probably October, January 9th, one day before my 23rd birthday, I was, uh, in OCS down in Quantico, Virginia. So quick, um, short fuse on that, I guess the flash to bang terminology um, applies, but that was, uh, so next five years, um, I was a uh, Marine officer, infantry officer. I was with, um, stationed out in Southern California um, with 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines. Um, fantastic unit, um, fantastic people, and the Marines that I served with, um, as many service members can attest, uh, were some of the finest people that they interacted with. Uh, weirdest and craziest, but nonetheless, um, you know, most wonderful. So, Five years there, I deployed in 2011 to Southeast Asia, 2012 to Afghanistan, and 2013 to Australia. Um, Southeast Asia, we were on a MU, a Marine Expeditionary Unit, where we provided our um, our infantry battalion provided humanitarian assistance and disaster relief to the Fukushima uh, nuclear spill mm. there on off the coast east coast of Sendai, Japan, um, and then. 2012, we were in Helmand Province. Um, I was a advisor team leader with um, several NCOs and senior NCOs um, co-located in a remote patrol base um, over by the east, the uh, border of Musakela and, and Kajaki um, in a patrol base called Dekarez. And we were embedded with 81 Afghan National Army soldiers. Um, and so we operated um, out of there. That's how that our unit was task organized throughout the area of operations. Um, and then uh, 2013, I was a sort of a long range planner um, with a um, Marine rotational force Darwin. So I was in a small command element uh, supporting the cross training between uh, Lima Company, 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines and the Australian Defense Force. That was uh, that came right on the heels of my 
Afghanistan deployment. Um, I was planning on getting out after Afghanistan and my XO to this day, a man I admire and look up to as an amazing mentor in my life. Um, he rec- His name is Donnie Hasseltine. I'm going to give him the, the shout out. Um, he's doing amazing things out in, uh, in San Francisco right now. But um, he, it, uh, he basically told me about this opportunity. And, and, you know, in lesser words, he's like, you'd be crazy. You're single. You have nothing lined up for the end of the Marine Corps. Uh, you'd be crazy if you didn't take this opportunity. And sure enough, he was right. Took it uh, and went into a, an amazing culture over there with the Australians who are the most hospitable and um, the most savage and crazy people that I've been around. But uh, amazing experience in the Marine Corps. Got out of the Marines. Um, went into commercial real estate on the brokerage side. Um and this will tie uh, to some kind of a lessons learned um, looking back from where I am right now. But I uh, spent some time, about a year and a half in commercial real estate brokerage doing um, commercial leasing um, and acquisitions. But um, that was uh, a very challenging role for me. Uh, that was the first time I had never really been a part of a team. Uh, it was a very independent role and it was sales-based. So uh, there's certainly that added element of pressure. Um and then um, that led to an opportunity, a pretty serendipitous moment um, where I pitched to a large construction company, Turner Construction. Um, I happened to pitch um, uh, a gentleman who was the GM. His name is Chris Beck. He's a, my second um, uh, industry mentor uh, and somebody who I actually spoke with last week. And I, I look up to immensely, uh, a very motivational individual, very sincere um, an awesome human being. Um, and I happened to pitch this guy on this day. It was Friday morning. I was hungover from the night before. I remember going in being like, I'm batting like O for 37 uh, this year. This is, this is a, the worst job possible, um, which for me at that time it was. Uh, and he was, I told him about my, my background and he flipped the script kind of on me and was like, I have a lot of junior uh, civil and structural engineers um, that don't have a lot of people experience and people management. Um, you're coming off with, you know, six, five, six years um, of Marine Corps leadership um, experience. I could use somebody like you to help run these pretty dynamic construction sites. Um, so, you know, I, I follow motivated people. I follow my gut and, um, and it paid off. It was an amazing, amazing uh, choice uh, and experience. And, and I was scared that I didn't have the technical background uh, that the, some of these civil structural engineers um, had. And sure, it was hard to learn some of the learning how to read architectural drawings, understanding what all the, the new vernacular and terminology in this industry was. But I could do it. And that was, you, you know, you give somebody enough uh, resources and time to figure it out. And if they're curious enough and if they want to learn, then they will. And uh, that's a broader message for veterans in general um, <laughs> to be like, basically, no industry should ever scare you if you come at it. Um, but with that said, you know, I worked uh, for the next five years with Turner between Philly, Boston, um, 25 million to 850 million dollar uh, projects on project teams with two people up to 65 people um, just on independent project teams. Um, amazing experience. Um, but really what I loved about it so much was the interpersonal 
um, connections, relationships, and dynamics that are present in these very complex projects. Um, and I thought what I really learned was that construction is this like beautiful blend of this like white collar and blue collar where the designers, the owners, the developers may have the vision and the money um, and they might all be in one room talking with, you know, suits on. And then that quickly has to translate into what is actually being built and constructed. And so what was what was so fantastic to me was realizing that you all need each other to get this project done, to get it done effectively, efficiently, on time, under budget. Um, you know, the 18-year-old that's, that's slinging rock or laying, you know, the framing is just as integral a part as the designer that that uh, that that architects the the vision of the of the developer. So, um, to me, it was this really, um, you know, this industry that just embodied like every walk of life, size, color, shape, um, and everybody could be successful um, if they were motivated the right way, if they were communicated to the right way, if they were provided the right guidance. And to be honest, it reminded me a little bit of the Marine Corps. Um, and, and it was, um, it was this, um, I, I think why I had some success in the industry was because I loved having to figure out how to communicate with whoever I was working with in order to achieve successful outcomes or, or to motivate them the right way or to get them to see the master schedule vision of the project versus just maybe what their trade needed to do on that day. Um, and also, you know, be able to cross communicate what the, the needs were of these different parties and these different levels within the industry. I, I'm telling the architect that there's constructability issues that is being brought to my attention by, you know, the elevator operators or the, you know, the, you know, concrete constructors. Um, and then also on the other hand, it's, you know, the architect is relaying to me what needs to get done in the field. And I was able to message that in a way that was, um, that was clear and, and actually was, was, you know, respectful of what they're doing. So anyway, um, you know, spent that, but again, it came back to this like team dynamic. And so I had been researching graduate programs and, you know, with the GI Bill, I had always known I was going to go back to school. I just didn't know what, what it was uh, going to be for. A lot of my friends did the MBA. To me, like there was enough about the MBA that like it, it was quantitative and I, I, I knew I wanted nothing to do with, with that realm. And Not a finance guy. No, and and that's you'll you'll figure out you know me well enough even at this point BJ is like <laughs> it, I'm not going to waste time doing something that that is not enjoyable for me um, at at this point in my life and especially if I'm going to to give that much of my time to a graduate program um, I want to be invested in every single class I'm taking I want to get something out of it I want to offer everything I um, I can. And so I found this program um, at the University of Pennsylvania uh, called Organizational Dynamics. Um, and it was an incredible graduate school experience uh, for me. I went back uh, full time, um, knocked out uh, the bulk of my coursework. And then um, I did a, as a part of that graduate program, the next year, I, I while finishing up classes and working in my next career, I focused on a doing the research and writing a thesis, uh, a very long capstone project uh, where I sought, I sought to gain, um, I sought to gain the non-technical skills 
that veterans bring to the civilian workforce directly from their mouths. Um, so I conducted a, a qualitative research study uh, with 27 different veterans across nine different industries um, that were had already transitioned and were already working in the civilian organization to see through their words what non-technical skills they learned and they used in the military that have translated or have been able to be effectively implemented in the civilian workforce, sort of industry agnostic. Um, and so that was a really fun project because um, what I saw during the last probably five years that I didn't feel was present when I transitioned, there's a real focus toward the veteran transition, uh, a real um, targeted um, sort of resource-rich foundation to hopefully provide veterans a bit more clarity as they transition out of the military and into, into a civilian role. With that said, that time period is pretty finite. That could be six months, could be 12 months. I guess you could argue it never ends. But nonetheless, you know, I'm saying that that period ends when you get your first job. And the problem is with that that I see is like, you're just scratching the surface. What you're doing is you're just marketing a veteran to get the first job. But I felt too often companies were just kind of checking the box as they hired the veteran and then they'd say, hey, kind of go assimilate. Now go do the role that, that I told you to do or that I hired you for, completely overlooking and undervaluing the entire framework of what the military veteran and their non-technical skills brings to the civilian workforce. So my research really focused on, like the title is An Organizational Guide to Leveraging Military Veteran Human Capital. And what it seeks to do is tap into your veteran non-technical skills that your veterans all, regardless of rank or branch, have. How do you tap into that and effectively leverage that um, within uh, the organizational workforce throughout the employee life cycle, not just using it as a, a recruitment strategy? So. I, I know you, I know we should probably want to commercial break. We're going to do a commercial break right. here. So, and this is why, not a real commercial, but if, if anybody out there is an entrepreneur and you're like, man, I really wish that I could find somebody to do this for us, start articulating it to yourself because we started articulating it to ourselves and Hey, what's the job? Well, we want to recruit veterans. We want to train our employees. We want to enhance our employee experience. We want to help veterans build career paths in the, you know, architect, engineering, construction industry. Um, we need somebody that's entrepreneurial enough, but they don't need to know the business. They need to know the, you know, kind of the the scope. They need to be passionate about the mission. And along comes Jesse. So, oh, he's interested in recruiting veterans. Oh, he is a veteran. Oh, he did work in the construction industry. So he actually went through this transition. Oh, he's been on project teams. He's he's been in the industry. He just went to grad school and put a, you know, did his um thesis on an organizational guide to leveraging veteran talent. Hey, this is our guy. So everybody, I, I you know, I just summarized in 30 seconds what went on over about a six-month period of Jesse and I loosely getting to know each other and then confirming that. You know, he was the right guy to help us execute this part of our 10-year vision. And 
I, I want to do the commercial break because I want to announce Jesse's available. We are available to help anybody that's going through this transition process. You know, it's not about getting a job like Jesse mentioned, right? There's a lot of people giving jobs to veterans. It's really about, and, and veterans will understand this, there's needs of the army versus individual desires. I think that, you know, in the veteran transition, it's about understanding the desires and needs of the veteran and the needs of the organization and figuring out how do you get as much alignment as possible as early as possible with a goal over time of getting more and more alignment. And at MCFA, that may be more and more alignment here. At MCFA, it may be, hey, you get your first experience, but we're going to understand that you know alignment for you is with some big business or with some public entity, and we'll help you transition there. So that's the commercial break is that DOD to AEC you know, is like all things at MCFA, we're, we're flying the plane while we're building the plane. Uh, but it is, quote, alive. And, you know, you can get in touch with Jesse on LinkedIn, via email. You'll see it all in the show notes. We may even put some snippets from his, uh, from his thesis in there um, for people to take a look at, because we do want to be a resource to um, other other companies in the engineering construction development, other leaders trying to figure this out. Um, and and some of what you get in veterans applies to leveraging talent across the board. Some of what Jesse's talking about. But I want to dig into some of the things that, you know, Jesse and I have been talking about. It's like veterans are uniquely positioned. And I'll start with the fact that, you know, what Turner Construction, um, Chris Beck, Saul and Jesse and said to Jesse was, wait, you've led human beings before in like crazy chaotic situations. I got a lot of people that understand the technical. I don't know anybody. I don't have a lot of people that know how to lead and, you know, deal with human beings. All right. So that is the number one thing I think that you get from veterans is leading and following, right? So one of the rules in the in the military, and it's it's said a bunch of different ways, understanding two up, one down, two down, two up. But you have to be able to lead and follow and know the job of the guys below you and the guys above you and guys and girls. That's, you know, I, I don't mean to offend anybody there. And and imagine you on your project team getting that skill set. So if you have the technical team kind of rounded out, but you're looking for a nimble project leader, that's that's really the the ideal candidate we're talking about here, Jesse. Jesse, I'll, I'll let you comment there. Yeah. So it's really funny. Um, you know, one of the funniest terms I ever heard uh, when I was at Turner was, uh, we are general contractors, which means we generally know what's going on on the project sites. Uh, <laughs> but but what that meant was that was somewhat of a call to action in that you need to get kind of dirty with the trades. You need to get down and you need to be in the elevator shafts if you're inspecting rail installations. You need to be, you know, looking at um, you need to be with the, when when they're pouring concrete, like be out there at 2 a.m., uh, when, when everything's going, going crazy, when there's, you know, 35 people and they're, and they're pouring a slab, um, you know, when the roofers are out there doing, doing damage control, because like initial roofs are failing, like you need to understand this. And that is, 
that was what they taught us in the military as officers. Like, I'm not a mortarman. I'm not an assault man. I'm like, you know, all of these very much more specific um, MOSs, right, that that were comprised of all the different uh, military service members in, in every branch. Um, they get te- very technical and skilled training for all of those things. And as an officer, you're never going to know as much as they do about their job. But it's not necessarily your job to ever do theirs. Uh, but you need to know as much as you can in order to effectively utilize it, in order to effectively um, work as a team to understand how all these pieces fit together, how all these skills, how all these traits, right? And that's that's how that's how commercial projects are are run, and it's it's a it's a general understanding. Let's call it a T shaped skill, right? A breadth of understanding, but your depth is your ability to get everybody aligned um, and on a and on a schedule there. So, yeah, um, I was going to say one one further thing. Um, oh yeah, the on the. Um, the last question I asked during all of my qualitative interviews, um, the final question I asked was, what drives you to succeed in organizational life? Um, and the number one response was, I want to feel like I'm adding value or I'm, I'm contributing value to my team. Um, hmm. And so that's really important because if veterans want to feel like they're they're valued. They're, they're, they show up and what they're spending their hard work and their effort and their energy doing is creating value within their team. How do you, how do you show them that? How do you give them the tools to create value? How do you um, empower them um, in a position? So that's really what it tied to with um, what I then began pulling the thread on with veteran engagement and how are you utilizing people? How are you motivating them? Um, because, it, you know, conversely, if they're not, if they don't feel like they're adding value or contributing value, then you're, you've got a disengaged veteran population. And I'll tell you what, if people disengage in combat or on missions, you're going to have real problems. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, uh, motivate. You know, motivation's a term a lot of people criticize because it's temporary. But the point is, like, are you there? Are you present? Are you engaged? Are you giving everything you have? Um, and you know, it, it kind of comes back to this: what we're seeing with younger gen, this whole quiet quitting, you know, phase or whatever. It's like, do, does everybody that's quiet quitting feel like they're they're adding value in the workforce. Like they, like they are a super valuable uh, component of the team. And my, my thought would be that if they felt like they were really contributing and adding value, it wouldn't, um, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't feel as, um, as motivated to kind of disengage. So, so there's two pieces that I, I, I want to hit on um, and, and get your comments on. There's veteran recruitment, right? And and it, look, engineering construction industry, I've heard, and I don't have the statistics in front of me, and they change every day in the Infrastructure uh, and Jobs Act and and or Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Like, I don't know. Here's what I'm hearing. We have a increased amount of work in the next 10 years and beyond. Uh, and that's 
That's a reality. And we have a decreasing or a, a aging out population of workforce in our industry. So, so that was the problem statement we heard is there's opportunity to grow in this industry. And there's at least 10 years of work and it'll probably go beyond there because the construction industry is not going anywhere. anywhere. So that was the problem statement. And as a service disabled veteran owned small business, we said, Hey, we have a passion for this. We feel a moral obligation to, to, you know, take some of the subcontracting requirements and the, the, the set aside stuff and reinvest that in the veteran population. So that's why that's why we're doing this is one, we saw an opportunity and two, we have a passion about it. So it's good business and it's and it's good good. I don't know what the <laughs> it's just goodness. Um we'll, we'll, I'm usually good with words. We'll have to work on that. <laughs> um so that's why we're doing it and we're encouraging other people to do it. You got two hundred thousand veterans transitioning out of out of the military every year. That's a pretty big workforce. There's people in that population that can help you on your projects. Our challenge to you is don't give them a job, help them establish a career path. And again, whether that career path's in your company or just in our industry, yes, you can be the first job that they get in our industry, uh, but be intentional in utilizing them, teaching them, training them, mentoring them, and empowering them to go utilize their skills that they learned in the military, which everybody that's been in the military has a couple of things in common. Uh, mission accomplishment, they've been trained about mission accomplishment, which is the same thing as project execution. Uh, they've been trained to deal with people of all walks of life, right? It, we, we talk about DOT, DOD is a melting pot of America, rural, suburban, uh, inner city, California to Florida to, to New England, uh, you know, black, white, Hispanic, um, race, color, creed, it doesn't matter. Everybody comes together to accomplish a mission. So you got the ability to work with a lot of different people. You got a, a commitment to the mission. You have a loyalty to and 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 in that loyalty is all the other core values that separate the branches and look at their core values, put them all back together because they basically are different words in different orders, but the same core at the uh, at the individual. And somebody's going to challenge me and say, "Yeah, I've met people in the military that don't don't uh, have those core values." All right, I guarantee you, those are the exception, not the rule. Everybody that I serve with. You know, there's there's onesies and twosies that's like, all right, knucklehead here, knucklehead there. But in their heart of hearts, that's the makeup of of these individuals. So you gotta you 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 gotta recognize there's an opportunity here to fill a gap in our industry, to train this population, give them a new mission, a career path, and give yourself basically a good. Uh, human capital strategy. I mean, look at the diversity of jobs within the AEC industry. There's, there are, there are manual labor positions. There are doers. There are take, you know, one hour tasks, accomplish that, come back um, and get the next task. There are daily, there are weekly planners. There are people that think um, analytically. There are people that, um, 
run large, complex schedules. There are designers. Um, there are people looking at the finance. I mean, there there's such um, there's such a landscape of different opportunities that you know veterans don't just fit one profile. Um, the the beautiful common denominator is you 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 typically have a ton of hardworking individuals that are willing to make some sacrifices, willing to live with a little bit of discomfort. Um, to get there, I think the one, the one thing that that I do want to highlight that it, it, you know really ties into what you're talking about, and with this thesis was we were talking about what what employers have done effectively to really tap into your non technical skills, and it broke down to these four organizational engagement drivers that companies were willing to engage with veterans across. It was challenge, motivation, community, and communication. And so looking at, you know, are you challenging your, your, your veteran employees, new, old, like, are you giving them an adequate challenge? Are you, are you motivating them correctly? Are you giving them um, the tools to succeed? Are you rewarding um, different efforts? Uh, are they in the right seat? Are they, are they doing what it is they're confident in doing and executing? Are they motivated to be doing it? Um, are they a part of a community, right? This is, you, you know, veterans are willing to lay down their lives for the people to their right and their left. They obviously give a shit of, about this team dynamic, this team concept. So, you know, you, you gotta, um, you gotta think that, uh, I, I would think it's biased my perspective, but I, you know, you gotta think that veterans need to feel a part of a community, whether that's a team, a group within an organization or a connection to the larger organization as a whole. Um, they want to be a part of something they're moving together to, to create, to complete a mission or an objective. So making sure that there is a sense of community that is supporting the, the veteran themselves, their identity, um, or that sort of sub-demographic. And then communication, right? It's I, You hear a lot of veterans talk about, you know, communication in the military is very direct. Um, it's very direct. It's because it's standardized as well. It's not nuanced. It's much less nuanced than communication that we have in the civilian world. And, and that's for a very specific reason. So a lot of veterans complain about, ah, like, you know, I spent five, four years or 20 years talking a certain way. Yeah. No, no kidding. That's hard to, to learn a new language. And, 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 and it's also not fair to expect non-veteran or civilian employers to like, you know, change their way of talking just to, to cater to you. Um, but with that said, um, there's middle ground in that. There is, hey, this is the way. I'm, sure. This is, uh, you know, if I'm if I was an E3 and I was used to getting like daily tasks to complete and then report back at the end of the day to be like, I'm done this. Here's my back brief. What's next? You know, that's a that's an element of communication that somebody, a new veteran at a workforce is is gonna be like, hey, this is what I, I this is how I operated in the military. Um, I kind of waited on guidance. I was kind of told what to do, and then you know was very clear on I got this done. Or I couldn't get this done for this reason, and can you help me? Or what's next? Like communicating on on what your past experience is. But to me, to me, that communication element is a little bit more complex. But it, the biggest, most important thing for me is veterans' ability to communicate with their employers what their past kind of communication um, understanding is. And does it apply to this new job? If it doesn't, the or, the organization having the um, ability to be like, no, things are a little different here. 
here's how this could relate. Here's how we typically communicate. Um, you know, if I, uh, you know, if I say that, you know, just being, being able to kind of talk through and some of that's simply interpersonal, that's not like organization, um, to individual. Um, and so that, and that's actually why I interviewed people about their direct managers, because I, I didn't want anybody, people only have the lens through which they've experienced their managers and that element of communication. They, I, I don't think people can accurately speak for their organization, um, that my organization communicated this to me. Well, not, no, it's like it's a it's an interpersonal thing. So there could be manager veteran communication that could could transform. But I think, you know, blanket, those are the four challenge, motivation, community, uh, community and communication. So so I want to wrap up the, this this part because I said there was two things that we we're hitting on. One is veteran talent and, and the specifics there. The other is this global war on talent and how do you, how do you be a good employer, good leaders? Uh, how do you be a good employee? There's a partnership between the two and, you know, trying to, trying to figure out and finagle and communicate the alignment of the needs of that, of that relationship. And, you know, I'm a Maslow hierarchy of needs kind of guy that like getting a job is safety, right? Like that's a job is I've got, income coming in, I can pay for food and shelter all the way up to the top of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is self-actualization. And I think self-actualization is a bit of experience figuring out, you know, your passion, your purpose and, and bringing those things together somehow, some way. And there's all kinds of stuff in between. I, let me, let me qualify anybody that thinks we're a perfect organization at MCFA. We're not. Um, we're not there. We will never get there, but we are intentionally trying and we are intentionally thinking about these things. And I challenge everybody out there to do the same. If you're a leader that has human beings working in your organization, human beings come to work with a whole lot more than just a resume. They got family, they got needs, they got passions, they got problems, they got, right. That's something we learned in the army is, you know, take care of your people. So I'm challenging you to take care of your people because we obviously have an epidemic in the world with quiet quitting and all of this. And, and we can have a debate. Is that the employee's job? Is that the employer's job? The answer is it's both, right? Employees have an obligation to show up and do their job. And an employer has the obligation to build their business and bring in the people and you know pay fair compensation and you know, some, somewhere in the middle, when those two things meet, there's either magic or misery. And we're, we're saying that if you're intentional about it, you're going to get closer to magic than misery on both sides of the table. Inspiring People and Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified, service disabled, veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people and places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. DOD to AEC, talk to us, talk to Jesse, connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, we're going to move to rapid fire questions to wrap up. Uh, we're at 45 minutes. We're a little longer than usual, but guess what? We think it's a good conversation. So um, Jesse, most recommended book? Uh, I, I'm. I'm going to go with uh, Mindfulness by Ellen Langer. Um, I, I, I move quickly in life, and sometimes I, I need to be reminded to 
slow down and really focus on being present. Uh, it's about the journey, not just about the destination. Uh, and I want to hit Jesse mentioned quick start earlier in the conversation. We'll put a link to Colby. Uh, we use a number of different uh, test profiles, whatever to just for self-reflection and self-awareness and, and to enhance these communications between like, Hey, Jesse, you're a quick start. I'm a quick start. That means that we may really move quicker than we have the resources to do. Let's make sure that we challenge ourselves when we have a good idea and we're ready to run out of the room to go kill something that we think about what else we need. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. I do. I, I skipped over this, but uh, that, that your nonprofit is, is critically important to um, you and, and this conversation. And everybody's heard me talk about how nonprofit experience is a leadership hack. If you're a junior employee or even a senior employee and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm either getting stagnant or I feel like I want to be challenged and you're not getting it inside of your job. There's a nonprofit out there that is probably doing something in a space you're passionate about that needs your help. And whether that's volunteer hours or leadership time or somewhere in between, there's no lack of causes or, or organizations trying to do good in this world. Uh, so Jesse talked about us about Fish for Life. Sure. Fish for Life um, is a, uh, a nonprofit. Uh, it's a long story um, of how I got involved, but um, there, our mission is bringing dignity and new possibilities uh, to children with special needs. And we take out 100 people on fishing trips. Our East Coast goes out of Wildwood Crest um, and the Starlight Fleet. Um, there we do two to three trips per summer um, and uh, started it up two years ago. So this will be our third summer coming up. Uh, it's an awesome, huge um, experience. We roll out the red carpet introduction and introduce it's 30 special needs children, um, 30 um, parents or chaperones or, or caregivers, and then 40 volunteers. Huge undertaking. But the coolest part is really the beginning um, where we, we read out a individualized bio about um, each kid's like favorite activities, friends, uh, family members, and they walk down the red carpet uh, and everybody gives them uh, high fives as they, as they board the boat. Um, so it's, a, it's much more about uh, the, the entire experience and about honoring the families, the kids, and um, you know, being together on that boat. And really, um, fishing is just the, the vessel through which to get everybody together. So um, yeah, it's been, been a great experience. Um, and I, I'm the executive director of the Eastern Region, uh, but we're, we're standing up some chapters in different areas along the East Coast. So happy to talk more if anybody's interested. Yeah, we'll put more information on that in the show notes as well. Uh, favorite quote? Your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. That's from uh, my favorite movie, Braveheart. Malcolm Wallace is is, Mal is uh, William Wallace's father. Right after he dies, uh, the son goes to him in a dream, and his father tells him, um, your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. And uh, to me, uh, there is there is no more beautiful call to action than uh, than than to listen to your heart. In our first round of interviewing Jesse, he tried his best at his Scottish accent. He, he I guess, he, I guess he accepted that he just doesn't have it in his bag. Uh, I thought it was. Pretty I forgot good. about that. I forgot about that until he just did it. All right. Uh, um, 
Dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? What would you do? Tupac Shakur, Roger Federer, and still living um, is Mark Ormrod, a triple amputee, British Royal Marine, um, who is an amazing inspiration. What would you do with them? He's really he's a he's a, a jujitsu um, master. No yeah, it's it's really amazing. Uh, I think he also just set the uh, a world record for swimming across a, a channel. He's he's a remarkable individual. Um, and I've I, I got to train with some Royal Marines and and they're they're unique breeds. So um, I don't know. I would I would I would listen. I would spend some time with him. I would listen and um, yeah. That's what I do. All right. Legacy. What do you want on your tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? I, uh, you know, my, my, my only wish is that I can make a positive impact in people's lives in some way, shape or form. Um, it's that whole, like, you know, if, if people interact with me, you know, in whatever capacity on one day, um, that hopefully they can leave that conversation or that experience um, just in a little bit better mood or a little happier, um, which is, you know, not always easy. Yeah. Cause like, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, but that, that's, that's truthfully it is, you know, when I die, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I want to, I want to be there popping my head out of the coffin and, and seeing no open seats. Nice. All right. In the words of Andy Reid, the former head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Time's yours. Any parting thoughts? Uh, the the my my last thing and and uh, I've preached about it. Um, well, I've talked about it at MCFA uh, with our team um, during one of uh, my, our our uh, our our MCFA University uh, professional development courses. Is really um, three major things that I think are just vital, uh, for any organization, not just an AEC. Uh, it's, it's empower authenticity, leverage people's strengths and what makes them unique and diverse, and then, um, enable them to find fulfillment. Uh, you, you give through, you give, you spend your energy focusing on those, those three tools. And, uh, you know, people are going to really surprise you with, with, uh, with what they bring, uh, to the organizational workforce. Awesome. Jesse, it was great having you. Great to have you on board. Everybody get in touch with us if we can help or if you're interested in helping us or, or getting to know more about DOD to AEC, uh, let us know. Stay in touch with us. And because of the time of year, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and uh, get after it in 2023. Thanks. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.